Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. Thanks for joining us today for this quick turnaround coverage of Health Canada's just completed webinar on vaping regulations. It was titled Regulatory Process, How Vaping Regulations Are Decided, Drafted and Developed. It really was quite an extraordinary webinar and kudos to Health Canada for providing some transparency to the process. And it is the process that they really wanted to share with Canadians. How does regulations get made? in Canada. That was the pretty much the topic of this particular webinar. And specifically, though, they did get into some details on where we are in the process of the proposed flavor ban that Health Canada has put on the table in order to help fight youth use of nicotine vaping products. So there were a bunch of questions that were presented to Health Canada before the webinar, and they were the ones that got to pick and choose which questions uh, to present in the webinar and which ones that they would answer. So I leave it to you to decide whether or not they did a good job in the choosing and in the answering. So why don't we take a listen? Welcome to this webinar on the regulatory process, how vaping regulations are decided, drafted and developed. Bienvenue à ce webinaire sur le processus réglementaire, comment les réglementations sur le vapotage sont décidées, rédigées et développées. So my name is Sonia Johnson. I'm the Director General of Health Canada's Tobacco Control Directorate. Je m'appelle Sonia Johnson et je suis Directrice Générale de la Direction de la Lutte au Tabagisme à Santé Canada. Uh, to start off today, I'd like to introduce our panelists. Alors, pour commencer, je voudrais vous présenter les panelistes. Uh, and maybe I will first start with our uh, guests. So maybe, Maria, I'll pass the mic over to you first, if you'd like to introduce yourself, please. Thank you, Sonia. Um, hi, everybody. Um, my name is Maria Bayawanu, and I'm with the team at Rights for Vapors. I am so happy and so grateful that Health Canada has taken the time to address consumers of vaping products in Canada. Personally, I'm approaching 10 years of being smoke-free thanks to vaping. And seven of those 10, 10 years, I've been working really hard to ensure the voice of the consumer is being considered during the process at every level of government. That is why this webinar today brought to us by the team at Health Canada is so important. And that they are they're taking the time to talk to, to consumers, to talk to us, to address some of the questions that we have and continuously asking in different forums and answers that we really don't know. I truly hope that this is step one of a much bigger vision of building a stronger relationship between consumers of vaping products and Health Canada so we can build regulations that are fair to everyone. So thank you, this means so much to me. Thank you so much, Maria. Uh, Christina. Oui, moi je vais m'adresser en français. Euh, mon nom est Christina Gvidous et je suis la porte-parole de la Coalition des droits des vapoteurs du Québec. Je suis une ancienne fumeuse qui a fumé pendant 25 ans et je suis maintenant sans tabac depuis 2015 grâce aux produits de vapotage aux arômes de fruits. Je suis une militante, une ancienne organisatrice communautaire et défenseuse de la réduction des méfaits allant de la consommation de drogues aux pratiques sexuelles plus sécuritaires et bien entendu en ce qui concerne la principale cause de décès évitable au pays, le tabac combustible. J'aimerais moi aussi remercier Santé Canada pour avoir accepté de tenir ce webinaire. J'espère que ceci présage un changement d'approche sur le dossier avec le but ultime, l'éventuelle participation et l'apport des usagers dans toutes les étapes décisionnelles, y compris l'élaboration de la réglementation, comme c'est le cas actuellement dans d'autres pratiques de réduction des méfaits en santé publique. Merci. Merci beaucoup, Christina. I'll now turn it over to my Health Canada colleagues, uh, Laura. Sure. Hello, everyone. Great to be with you today. Uh, my name is Laura Smith. I'm the Director of Tobacco and Vaping Policy. Je suis la Directrice de la Politique sur le tabac et les produits de vapotage. Thank you. Denis? Bonjour à tous et à toutes. Mon nom est Denis Chouanière, Directeur du Bureau de la Réglementation des produits du tabac au sein de la Direction de la lutte au tabagisme. Denis Chouanière, Director of the Tobacco Products Regulator Office in the Tobacco Control Directorate. Thank you. Sorry, just one second. 
joys of working from home, what can I say? Okay, um, so <laughs> continuing on with our agenda. So again, we're very happy uh, to be here today to speak to our work. C'est avec plaisir que nous vous parlerons de notre travail. So I'll just uh, walk through uh, the agenda that we have for today. So first, uh, Denis Chouanier, who will be presenting an overview of the regulatory process, including the consultation process. Alors, pour commencer, uh, Denis uh, uh, va présenter une vue d'ensemble sur le processus réglementaire, y compris le processus de consultation. So after this presentation, we'll have a question and answer period uh, to respond to the questions that were provided in advance. Cette présentation sera ensuite suivie d'une période de réponse pour répondre aux questions qui ont été posées à l'avance. So we will be showing the uh, presentation in both English and French. Uh, however, the questions and answers will be given solely in English. Uh, les présentations seront affichées en anglais et en français. Cependant, les questions et réponses seront uniquement en anglais. Um, and so before we begin, uh, I'd also like to mention that the Government of Canada uh, has committed to Article 5.3 of the World Health Organization Framework Convention on Tobacco Control. Uh, avant que nous commencions, j'aimerais également souligner que le gouvernement du Canada s'est engagé à respecter l'article 5.3 de la Convention cadre de l'Organisation mondiale de la santé pour la lutte anti-tabac. So this commitment requires Health Canada to act and to protect our public health policies from commercial and other vested interests of the tobacco industry in accordance with national law. En raison de cet engagement, Santé Canada doit veiller à ce que les politiques de santé publique ne soient pas influencées par les intérêts commerciaux et autres de l'industrie du tabac conformément à la législation nationale. So additionally, in keeping with our international obligations uh, to the WHO FCTC, we'd like to inform you that this webinar is subject to disclosure as per Health Canada's openness and transparency policies. De plus, conformément à nos obligations internationales à la Convention cadre de l'OMS, nous vous informons que ce webinaire fait l'objet de divulgation selon les politiques de transparence et ouverture de Santé Canada. Therefore, nothing shared during this webinar is considered confidential and personal information will be disclosed without your further consent. Donc, rien dans ce webinaire ne peut être considéré comme confidentiel et vos renseignements personnels seront divulgés sans votre autorisation supplémentaire. Okay, perfect. Now, on to the heart of our uh, discussion today. I'd like to pass the mic over to Denis. Et maintenant, uh, la parole est à lui, Denis. Merci, Sonia. Uh, can we get the slides, please? All right, so this is a quick overview of the federal regulatory development process. Uh, next slide, please. So what are regulations and orders? They're considered delegated legislation. That means that uh, in the act, parliament has to provide powers for the governing council to make regulations. Otherwise, the governing council cannot make regulations. And when I say governing council, I mean cabinet. Uh, cabinet is uh, uh, all the, the group, all the grouping of the ministers of the government and they act on behalf of the crown. So the ministers uh, will make regulations only in the areas that parliament approve in the legislation. Parliament also has a joint committee. So senators and, and the MPs sit on a joint committee that reviews uh, regulations that have been adopted and will make comments to the government to correct regulations if they find that the governing council, so cabinet, exceeded the powers given by parliament. Donc, en français, rapidement, euh, la réglementation, ce qu'on appelle règlements et décrets, sont considérés comme des mesures législatives subordonnées. Et ce que ça veut dire, c'est que les lois du Parlement, certaines lois du Parlement, comme la loi sur le tabac et les produits de potage, euh, 
prévoit certains domaines, certains, euh, certaines dispositions, où le gouverneur en conseil, donc le cabinet, qui est le regroupement des ministres, peut adopter euh, une réglementation. Et euh, le Parlement a un comité mixte, un comité conjoint mixte, qui regarde aussi les mesures adoptées pour s'assurer qu'elles ne dépassent pas les pouvoirs que le Parlement lui a accordés. Next slide. So here's a very uh, full uh, slide that you can find on the Justice Canada website, and I won't go through it in details, but just to show that you need first a legislative process to allow Parliament to decide on where they want to give uh, regulation-making powers in their legislation. Typically, these are more the technical areas. And then you'll see quickly here the, the main steps for the regulatory, regulation process, regulatory process, and we'll come back to that in a few moments. Donc, en gros, voici une diapo euh, très exhaustive qui montre les différentes étapes pour la création de lois. Et elle sert seulement à illustrer que le Parlement doit décider ensuite de quelles mesures euh, euh, réglementaires il va donner euh, autorisation au gouvernement en conseil pour euh, l'élaboration de règlements. On va y revenir en plus, de, en plus de détails dans quelques moments. Next slide, please. So, Cabinet adopts directives on many, many areas, and they have a cabinet directive on regulation, and that sets out the government's expectations with, with respect to the development and management of federal regulations. Uh, cabinet, through this regulation, uh, these directives, excuse me, has also uh, set out four principles that uh, I thought would be useful uh, for uh, the participants today to be made aware of. Uh, don't forget here that obviously for cabinet, it's important that the government of Canada respects parliament authorities that are given in the legislation. And that overall for, for cabinet, it's important to ensure that regulations result in the greatest, greatest overall benefits to current and future generations. Donc la diapo ici, c'est pour vous présenter euh, le fait que le cabinet a adopté une directive sur la réglementation, que pour le cabinet, c'est important que le gouvernement du Canada, à travers sa réglementation, respecte les pouvoirs que le Parlement lui a conférés. Et le cabinet, pour le cabinet, c'est important que la réglementation entraîne les plus grands avantages dans l'ensemble pour les générations actuelles et futures de Canadiens. Je vais maintenant vous présenter les quatre principes qui sont énumérés à la directive. Next slide, please. So cabinet sees all the regulations uh, that fall under what's called the Statutory Instruments Act. Uh, sometimes there are minister regulations that do not fall under that, but let's say for today that all regulations go to cabinet. Obviously, regulations are not always uh, going in a single direction. There are aspects of regulations that may favor one area over others. And that's the role of cabinet to balance the, the, the interest of uh, Canadian society. And, and then cabinet decides on which regulations go forward or not. So if you look at the first principle here, uh, it aims to protect and advance the public interest and support good government. Uh, in this aspect, protecting the health and safety of Canadians is obviously an area that Cabinet wants to move forward with. Uh, so regulations made under the Tobacco and Vaping Products Act would fall here under the, this area of protecting the health and safety, but mainly health in the case of uh, flavoring regulations, the health of Canadians. Uh, second point is the regulatory process is modern, open, and transparent. Now, insist here on open and transparent. So there are obligations put on the government of Canada to make sure that uh, when there are regulations that are uh, in development, that it's communicated to the public 
and that the public interest, the, mainly the interested public is aware of these consultation and are given an opportunity to comment on. Uh, third one is that uh, the, uh, there's, there's an expectation that uh, regulatory proposals are based on evidence. Uh, that includes also a robust analysis of costs and benefits and if applicable assessment of risks. Finally, another point here that the cabinet has to weigh uh, is also whether regulations will support a fair and comp competitive economy, excuse me, and for example, here, uh, uh, pr promoting economic growth, entrepreneurship, and innovation for the benefit of Canadians. Donc, brièvement en français, uh, les quatre principes directeurs qui sont énumérés ici servent à, à guider le développement des, de la réglementation et les décisions que le cabinet va porter sur les projets de règlement qu'il uh, doit considérer. Next slide. So there are many, many, many steps that bureaucrats must go through when developing regulations. And uh, we've grouped them here just to facilitate discussions in, in four areas. So first area that uh, we'll be seeing in a, in a few seconds on its own slide is about determining the role or the need for regulations. Uh, once you've done this to help cabinet, there's a requirement to develop a regulatory impact analysis statement. And then there's a major, another major step is a step of drafting regulations and getting treasury, treasury board approval. And then the last steps include publication in Canada Gazette Part 1, followed by consultation. And then if cabinet decides so, there are, uh, there's a final approval of the regulation. So let's go into details and I'll give the details. Je vais donner les détails en français quand on ira à chaque diapo. Slide seven, please. All right, so as I mentioned earlier, Parliament has decided that there are some provisions for which regulations can be made to support the legislation. Uh, the fact that there are such provisions in the legislation doesn't mean that the government needs to develop regulations in this area. What's key here is you have to identify an issue that warrants uh, intervention, regulatory intervention. So that's a uh, uh, main point here is, is there an issue and what is this issue? And if you've identified this issue, then an analysis you need to do is, is it the right uh, issue for regulation? So in the case of uh, the flavoring regula regulatory proposal, uh, there was an issue that was identified in 2008, further identified in uh, 2019, basically based on, uh, on the publication from the literature, but also surveys where we got information about uh, youth uh, vaping, an increase, uh, dramatic youth uh, increase in youth vaping. And that was the start of, uh, for us to identify the issue. A uh, regulatory proposal was also developed because we thought that it was the best tool to be able to intervene. Uh, there's a requirement also that when government uh, uh, is looking or is considering regulation that is communicated to the Canadian public, we do this through what's called a forward regulatory plan. This is posted on the Health Canada website. In this particular case, it was in February 2021, after there was uh, earlier consultation uh, that uh, that was decided that, okay, we're gonna go ahead and, and develop a regulatory proposal. Uh, consultation prior to publication. So that's also a major point uh, for the Treasury Board Secretariat. The Treasury Board Secretariat, if you want, is the department that supports the Treasury Board. And obviously the next question is, who is the Treasury Board? Well, the Treasury Board are the ministers that sit on cabinet that are named to one of the committees of cabinet that's called Treasury Board. And for a number of years now, Treasury Board is the approval body for any regulatory proposal. So before we can even take a proposal to Treasury Board Secretariat, we have to have a prior consultation. 
In the case of the appeal and access to vaping products uh, area, uh, Health Canada consulted in this area in April 2019, and I seem to recall it was for 60 days. So the results of that uh, uh, prior consultation was used to develop the proposal. En français, euh, brièvement, et on doit d'abord déterminer s'il y a un enjeu critique qui doit être abordé au moyen de la réglementation. Lorsque le gouvernement décide qu'il veut proposer éventuellement une réglementation, ce sujet est affiché dans le plan prospectif de la réglementation qui est affiché sur le site de Santé Canada. Dans ce cas-ci, le projet de réglementer les arômes dans les produits vapotage est affiché en février 2021. Pardon, 2020. Non, excusez, 2021, c'était cette année. Merci. Next slide, please. So one main tool or the main tool, if you want to communicate the proposal to both cabinet and the public, is through the regulatory impact analysis statement. And this goes with the pro regulatory proposal in Canada, in the Canada Gazette part one, when it is published for consultation. So we, we have already done by then prior public consultation. We have identified the issue. We've looked at the, uh, the elements supporting the fact that we think there's an issue. Uh, we've developed the regulatory proposal and uh, we've done analysis of the costs and benefits. So. That's what must be reflected in the regulatory impact analysis statement. We described the issue as we did in the document that was published in June, uh, June earlier this year. Uh, you'll find also a part where the analysis of benefits and costs is uh, shown. Uh, it talks about impact on the environments, uh, the burden on business, uh, also modern treaty implications and international obligations. In the, this case with vaping products, we do not have inter international obligations, but we do for tobacco products. Next slide, please. Alors, la prochaine étape, uh, rédaction et approbation. Je vais commencer dans, en anglais d'abord. So drafting of regulations. This is uh, something that is done in parallel with the development of the policy of the RIAS. Uh, we talk to the lawyers at the Department of Justice. We talk also to the colleagues in Treasury Board Secretariats to review all the material. And the bureaucrats do not make the decision. We put together the material. We follow the guidance from Treasury Board Secretariat. They will have comments as the proposal is developed. Uh, but first, the package has to go to the minister, the minister of health. So the minister of health will decide if the, this package goes or not to Treasury Board. So the minister, this, his office will be briefed, uh, will answer every question that he have. We'll talk about Um, what were the comments received from interested parties? Uh, they may ask for further information or changes on the package sometimes. But once they have the minister signs off on the package, then it's submitted to the Privy Council Office. Privy Council Office is like the department that supports cabinet and the prime minister. And it's reviewed there before it goes to Treasury Board ministers for approval of the package. Um, What the, how the ministers uh, make their decision is basically looking at the regulatory impact analysis statement, any other briefing material that the Treasury Board Secretariat will, be, will have asked. Uh, this is why it's very important to have a balanced regulatory impact analysis statement because on the one hand, uh, in the case of uh, flavor restrictions here, The TB ministers will be interested to know, well, what is the public health problem that, uh, that needs to be addressed here? Uh, they will want also to see what's the evidence that uh, we put together to support our analysis and the need for regulations. They will want also to see what the uh, uh, consultation has said 
So the fact that the department consults, it's not necessarily to decide whether or not the package goes forward or not. It's to be able to show in the first hand what the minister, to the minister what the uh, impacted uh, Canadians have to say about the regulatory proposal. And it's going to be the same thing for the TB ministers. Uh, they want to see what all Canadians have said. Uh, so those who are against the proposal, why are they against it? Those who are for the proposal, why they are for it? And there's also the cost and, and uh, benefits analysis that will help also balance all the key guiding principles that I mentioned uh, earlier. Donc, brièvement français, pour euh, l'analyse du dossier, c'est important pour le Conseil du Trésor, donc les ministres du Conseil du Trésor, de se fier au, au document qui est l'analyse d'impact de la réglementation, qui va présenter d'une part euh, les enjeux, l'enjeu, quelles sont les preuves euh, qui justifient notre analyse de l'enjeu, ensuite euh, voir quels quel, qu ont été les commentaires euh, des Canadiens intéressés par ou qui sont concernés par le projet durant la consultation antérieure et ensuite euh, l'analyse des coûts avantages, ce qui permet au Conseil du Trésor de faire l'équilibre ou de pouvoir mettre en parallèle et en contraste les quatre principes directeurs que je viens de mentionner tout à l'heure. Next slide, please. So here are the two last steps, if you want. Uh, but there are many steps in between one and three here that you have. So pre-publication took place in June this year, uh, followed by a 75-day consultation. We are currently analyzing those 25,000 comments that we received, most of them from nine letter write writing campaigns, excuse me. Uh, if need be, there'll be uh, adjustments made to the proposal, changes, and then uh, the minister will have uh, to consider the regulatory package that will be put together. And uh, if, the, uh, if the minister decides that this goes ahead, then it will have to go to treasury board, the ministers again uh, for decision. Uh, the step between one and three here could take anywhere from typically six months to 24 months or even longer from past, uh, uh, past uh, experience. Uh, brièvement français, donc, uh, la publication pré préalable a eu lieu en juin dernier. La publication définitive va suivre uh, si le Conseil du Trésor éventuellement approuve une nouvelle réglementation et le travail qu'on fait maintenant, c'est l'analyse des commentaires reçus. Il y aura des ajustements au projet de règlement s'il y a lieu. Et ensuite, notre ministre devra décider si oui ou non il veut soumettre le dossier réglementaire au Conseil du Trésor. So maybe we can show the last slide here. I won't necessarily go through that in details, but this is more a graphic representation of what I just said about upfront, the consultation, identification of the problem, analysis, then the regulatory submission is reviewed, the uh, justice colleagues, uh, board secretary colleagues, then the minister has to approve, it goes to TV ministers for approval. There's publication in Canada Gazette part one. Then what we're doing now is you know, updating the proposal. You see the little square uh, that is reddish. This is where we are at now. And then if it goes to approval, then you'll see what the next steps are. Donc, brièvement français, vous voyez, c'est une représentation graphique euh, des étapes. Je ne vais pas passer euh, en détail ici, mais c'est juste une représentation à un nouveau, au niveau de ce que je viens de vous présenter. So, it's 16, it's 4.35 right now, so I'm going to stop. I think I've taken enough of your time. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you very much, Denis, uh, for the presentation. Um, so we'll now move to the question and answer session of the agenda. Uh, alors, uh, nous passons à présent à la période de questions et réponses du webinaire. So uh, I do want to start off by saying that we wanted to thank everyone for the questions that were submitted. Um, je désire tout d'abord vous remercier de vos questions. Um, and I do wanted to, to note that given the ongoing uh, regulatory development process, uh, we're not in a position to answer all questions in great detail, 
Alors, veuillez noter que continue du processus continu d'élaboration de règlement, nous ne sommes pas en mesure de répondre à toutes vos questions en détail. Uh, again, uh, the answers will be given solely in English for brevity. Uh, une fois de plus, uh, ces réponses seront uniquement en anglais par souci de concision. Uh, mais cela dit, s'il y a des questions après ce webinaire, uh, uh, vous pouvez nous envoyer un courriel et nous pourrons uh, uh, répondre à vos questions en français. So apologies that we're uh, only doing the uh, responses uh, in English only. Uh, we, we wanted to, uh, to, to be concise here. So with that, uh, we, uh, Laura and I will be uh, taking turns uh, addressing the questions. Uh, so now I'll pass the mic over to Laura to address the first theme. Thanks, Sonia. Uh, so I think uh, the agenda is up, which is great. Um, the first group of questions that you sent in related to the theme of uh, vaping, harm reduction, and quitting smoking. So. First, I, I wanted to say we really appreciated hearing from you uh, and thanks to those of you who provided input during the recent consultations. Uh, we all know that tobacco products are harmful and that smoking is the leading uh, preventable cause of premature death and disease in Canada. The government of Canada is committed to protecting the health of all Canadians, including helping them quit tobacco. I wanted to point out one of the things the Tobacco and Vaping Products Act did was create a legally defined category of vaping products. So we at Health Canada recognize uh, the potential of harm reduction to help people quit smoking, helping those who can't or won't quit using nicotine to identify less harmful options. Uh, while quitting smoking is the best thing you can do to improve your health, we recognize that for those people who smoke and completely switch to vaping, vaping is less harmful than smoking. Uh, we've said this in the public domain for several years now. Uh, vaping products expose users to far fewer toxic chemicals and substances than conventional cigarettes. Uh, however, vaping is not harmless. While it has been with us for more than a decade, it's not a lot of time to generate the kind of evidence that would be needed to support a precise description of the relative risk. Uh, as well, the products have evolved uh, and there is a lot of variation in the products and the way people use them. So vaping does have risks and the potential long-term effects of vaping remain unknown and continue to be assessed. This is one of the reasons that why we at Health Canada, as well as our colleagues at the Canadian Institutes of Health Research, established a scientific advisory board on vaping products. So this board is made up of experts in various disciplines who can speak to the scientific literature on the potential health benefits and harms of vaping products, and then provide recommendations to us here at the department. Uh, if you're looking for additional information on vaping and our approach to regulating vaping products, you can find that at canada.ca slash vaping. Uh, with respect to the consultations that have taken place as part of that process that Denis just walked us through, uh, we're taking into consideration all types of feedback we received, including campaign letters and postcards. Uh, it's not uncommon for us to get a higher volume of feedback from letters, postcards, uh, or email campaigns during regulatory consultations. Uh, in preparing a summary of the consultation, we often categorize the feedback received by campaign letters, including postcards and unique submissions. But this process just helps us to organize the consultation summary. Uh, as Denise said, the government has and will continue to consider your comments carefully as we consider further action to protect the health and safety of Canadians. And now I will turn it over to Sonia for the next batch. Perfect. Thanks, Laura. And I'll just wait and see if we've got uh, the agenda up for the, the second theme. But I'll go through, I'll, I'll, I'll get perfect, thank you. Uh, so the second group of questions that you submitted related to regulating vaping flavors. Um, so, uh, and again, wanted to echo what Laura was saying earlier about thanking everyone for uh, submitting their input to our consultations. Um, your comments about your experiences uh, are being carefully considered. Um, and so I'll maybe just take a step back for a second to uh, kind of talk about sort of the problem uh, definition that we're, we're facing. Um, so we know that there has been a, a rapid increase in youth vaping uh, that we've seen not only in Canada, but that has also been seen in the United States. 
And so while we recognize that there's no single factor uh, that has been responsible for driving that observed increase, um, there is research in, the, in this area that identifies the availability of a variety of desirable flavors as one of the key factors uh, responsible for this increase. So with the proposed regulations uh, for vaping flavors um, that we just recently consulted on, uh, it's expected to contribute to making these products less appealing to youth. Um, at the same time, the, the proposed regulations would still maintain access to some flavor categories like tobacco, mint, and menthol. Uh, and the reason for doing this was to have uh, flavors on the market available for adults who smoke and who wish to transition or who have already transitioned uh, to vaping. And we do uh, want to continue efforts to help people who smoke to quit and remain, and remain smoke-free. Um, one other point that I wanted to raise here as well was just to clarify in case it's not uh, uh, widely uh, known, um, is that uh, even if the government were to move forward with uh, proposing restrictions or pr putting in place restrictions with regards to flavors, um, this would not apply to vaping products that uh, are submitted under the Food and Drugs Act for a therapeutic use. So for example, submitted for uh, a cessation aid. So I just wanted to highlight that that is an alternative avenue uh, for getting flavored vaping products uh, to adults who want to use them to help them stop smoking. Um, to date, though, there haven't been any vaping products uh, that have been authorized under the, the Food and Drugs Act. Um, another uh, point I wanted to raise here as well uh, is that at the same time that we launched uh, consultations uh, on uh, restricting flavors in nicotine vaping products, um, there were also consultations on cannabis uh, extracts in vaping products. So for both these products and nicotine vaping products, uh, we at Health Canada were, were aiming to take a balanced approach um, that is really to provide access to adult consumers while also taking uh, necessary steps to limit the appeal uh, of these products to youth. Um, and then finally, just wanted to uh, uh, mention that we, we do all recognize uh, how difficult it can be to quit smoking um, and the challenges that many people uh, face in dealing with their dependence uh, on nicotine. So while our focus today um, is to talk about vaping specifically, I did want to take the opportunity to briefly highlight um, some of the other programs and activities that we offer to support people who smoke or use tobacco. Um, there is a toll-free quit line uh, with trained specialists that can answer questions and provide advice. Um, and we also fund some programs through our community organizations as well. Um, so I won't go into detail here because there's lots of information about this on our website uh, if you are interested in learning more about this. So with that, uh, Laura, I will uh, turn it over to you for the next theme. Okay, so I think we can see the third group of questions there on the screen. Um, the third group we got relate to vaping compliance and enforcement. Uh, one of the questions also refers to sharing information, which we'll get to in a few minutes when I respond uh, to questions about public education. So we have a strong compliance and enforcement program at Health Canada to ensure that manufacturers, importers, and sellers of vaping products comply both with the Tobacco and Vaping Products Act, as well as the Canada Consumer Product Safety Act. So Health Canada inspectors regularly perform inspections of establishments where vaping products are imported, sold, promoted, manufactured, or labeled. Uh, to be clear, I just wanted to say it's uh, not illegal for individuals to post about vaping online. Where there are potential compliance issues is a scenario where an individual or organization with a commercial interest contravenes the rules about the promotion of vaping products. So the tagging, quote unquote, of vape shops by consumers on social media may be considered a testimonial or endorsement prohibited by the Tobacco and Vaping Products Act. And that's where uh, vape shop owners' concerns would originate. Uh, and these need to be analyzed on a case-by-case -case basis in order to determine whether the posted material contravenes the promotion restrictions that are in the Tobacco and Vaping Products Act. 
Uh, with respect to the question about unsafe products, the Canada Consumer Product Safety Act uh, prohibits the sale of consumer products that may pose a risk to health or safety. So when we are notified by industry, Canadians or others that a consumer product like a vaping device or an e-liquid may pose a risk under the Canada Consumer Product Safety Act, uh, we evaluate the risk uh, and follow up as necessary. Health Canada will take compliance and enforcement action as appropriate when we identify a potential danger to human health or safety in a consumer product. Uh, regarding the sale of vaping products to minors, uh, sections eight and nine of the Tobacco and Vaping Products Act restrict access to these products by young persons, which is defined as being under 18 years of age. Some provinces have legislation that restrict sales of vaping products to people who are 19 and older. Um, and PEI, actually, their age requirement is 21. So a bit of difference across the country there. Um, we also work with the provinces and territories in the enforcement of vaping product regulations. And you may wish to inquire with your province, uh, territory, or your municipality for additional information about enforcement actions in, uh, in your area. If you'd like to know more about the compliance and enforcement activities that we do, we have uh, vaping compliance and enforcement reports, uh, which you can view on our website. Um, and I would say as well, that if you notice anything that you think might not be in line in, in line with the Tobacco and Vaping Products Act that might be a contravention, please send us an email. Uh, we'll put the address in the chat right now because it's a bit uh, confusing to read it. There it is, thanks very much. Um, so feel free to send us a note and, and we can follow up uh, with that. Okay, over to Sonia. Thanks, Laura. Um, so the next theme uh, in question relates to the risks of vaping. So I wanted to be very clear here that there have been zero deaths reported as a result of vaping-related illnesses in Canada. Um, we have seen a small number of issues involving vaping products, but as was mentioned earlier, um, we're still learning more about how vaping affects health in general um, and the potential long-term effects of vaping remain unknown and continue to, be, uh, continue to be assessed. So just wanted to make sure that that uh, was clear as well. Um, so with that, Laura, I will pass it over to you for the last theme. Okay, so the last question finally uh, we got uh, relates to funds spent on public education campaigns relating to vaping. So the question itself talks about uh, some Senate committee hearings that were taking place a few years ago. So I thought I would just take a minute to give some context. So in 2017, the Standing Senate Committee on Social Affairs, Science and Technology discussed messaging to the public about the relative risks of vaping products, and in particular, relative risk claims in commercial advertising and the need for such claims to be based on sound evidence. So to address these concerns, the bill that the Senate committee was discussing, what we now call the Tobacco and Vaping Products Act, uh, limits the means of promotion for vaping products. So this is in the act to protect youth and those who do not use tobacco products from inducements to vaping and to prevent the public from being deceived or misled with respect to health hazards. However, I will add that the act does allow for flexibility regarding messaging for health benefits or relative risks to align with the emerging scientific knowledge. We know that pu the public perception of health risks of vaping is somewhat muddled. Our own research through the 2019 Canadian Tobacco and Nicotine Survey found that a majority of Canadians thought that using a vaping device was either about the same as cigarettes in terms of harm or didn't know. So these responses show us as Health Canada that there is a continued need for public education in this area. We have this information on our website, but evidently we have a bit more to do so that Canadians who smoke are aware that while vaping is not harmless, it is less harmful than smoking cigarettes for those people who quit smoking and completely switch to vaping. Perfect. Thanks so much, Laura. Um, so that, that ends sort of the uh, question and, and answer period. Um, so maybe before I um, kind of going into some closing remarks, uh, I just wanted to make sure that because um, um, we, I mean, we're here today to, to try to help demystify some of the process around the, the regulatory process. Um, 
one question that I've received before um, that I just wanted to make sure that we we tackled here was in terms of timing. Uh, there seems to be uh, a, a misconception that January 1st is when flavor restriction would come into place. I, I saw a media article related to that. Um, so, um, and as Denis pointed out in his presentation, there's a, a, a multitude of steps that have to occur um, before um, publishing final regulations before they're implemented. So just wanted to, to clarify that January 1st isn't a, a magical date uh, when, uh, um, when things may, you know, when restrictions may occur. Uh, so just to be clear, you know, we, we just wrapped up the uh, consultations in early September. We're going through the analysis process. Uh, and there's a, a number of steps that need to, uh, to happen before, uh, if should we get to that final uh, regulation. Um, so just want to um, clarify that uh, in case it, uh, it wasn't clear uh, uh, during our session today. Um, so while we may not have gotten to everything today, we again, I just want to reiterate how much we appreciate uh, hearing your comments uh, and knowing what uh, topics are of interest to you. Nous n'avons peut-être pas tout revu aujourd'hui, mais encore une fois, nous apprécions d'entendre vos commentaires et de savoir quels sujets vous intéressent. Um, so I do want to thank you again for being here today and for your attention. En terminant, je tiens à vous remercier de votre présence et de votre attention. Um, and also to let you know that there is more information about the Tobacco and Vaping Products Act, proposed regulations and other topics uh, on our uh, website. Uh, alors je voudrais encore une fois faire remarquer que vous trouverez plus d'informations sur la loi sur le tabac et les produits de vapotage les règlements proposés et d'autres sujets sur le site web de Santé Canada. And please, if you do have any further questions, you can contact uh, Health Canada's Tobacco Control Directorate. Alors, uh, si vous avez d'autres questions, vous pouvez contacter la Direction de la lutte au tabagisme à Santé Canada. Uh, so just before ending, I do want to uh, turn the mic over to our uh, panelist at Rights for Vapors, just to... Um, uh, see if you have any uh, sort of final thoughts or, or, or comments for us. Hi, um, I, I walked into this not knowing what to expect um, and then kind of dreamt of what I would love to expect. So this kind of fell in the middle. Um, I truly 100% hope that this is a step one of many steps to follow and they can be baby steps and we can all take our steps where, oops, there goes my headset, where or the consumer can be heard and have a voice and be part like they are in other drugs in Health Canada when coming up with proposed regulations. Um, I've seen firsthand from so many consumers across this country how they feel not being heard. And today, you guys took a step forward in listening. So I, I personally appreciate that and I'm sure others do. We just hope that this isn't the end. We hope that this is the beginning. Perfect. Thanks so much, Maria. And I know this was a different format than maybe your uh, uh, other webinars that you've done that, uh, to, to help uh, educate and, in, and empower your membership. Um, but I, I do take to heart your, your words about this being a first step. Uh, and again, we do appreciate being here today um, to talk a little bit more about our process. Thank um, you. Christina, and I don't know if Christina, was oh, oh. I was going to say, oh. I don't know if Christina, but we're thinking exactly this. Okay, perfect. So I'm going to mute. <laughs> okay. Oui, je voudrais juste un peu dire la même chose que Maria. Um, pour moi, c'est sûr, je sais que je fais l'écho de, de probablement des sentiments de plusieurs personnes qui écoutent le webinaire aujourd'hui, que euh, et je suis sûre que plein de personnes voudraient comme répondre aux, aux réponses que vous avez données dans le sens qu'ils seraient pas tout à fait d'accord. Bon, pour moi, c'est c'est pas le, le but de la chose. Comme Marie a dit, c'est important qu'on a commencé le processus. Moi, pour moi, l'ouverture même, c'est un une, un pas dans la bonne direction. Et euh, oui, euh, encore une fois, je, je vais répéter ce que Marie a dit, que pour moi, l'essentiel dans la réduction des méfaits, on le sait très bien, c'est on doit centrer les voix des personnes directement touchées par la problématique. Dans ce cas-ci, c'est des fumeurs et des anciens fumeurs qui bénéficient de la, de la réduction des méfaits par le biais de sources de nicotine moins nocifs. 
Um, et euh, ça, j'espère qu'on va voir de plus en plus euh, de la part de Santé Canada et de, aussi des, des santé publiques euh, dans les provinces, euh, parce que c'est quelque chose qui manque énormément et euh, je pense que euh, c'est au détriment justement de la santé publique. Je pense qu'à à plusieurs niveaux, ce que, nous re, ce que nous voyons en ce moment pour le vapotage, euh, il, y a des, il y a des parallèles qu'on peut voir entre ça et la manière que l'approche par rapport à la consommation de drogue ou par rapport à l'épidémie du sida et les préjugés, et les, les, les peurs qui ont souvent place dans, dans ces débats-là, mais qui ont quand même évolué. J'espère aussi que cette évolution-là va avoir lieu dans ce domaine-ci. Et voilà. Merci beaucoup, Christine. J'apprécie énormément vos commentaires. Merci. Thank you so much. Great. Great. Well, with that, I again want to thank uh, everyone for attending today. Uh, je vous remercie énormément uh, pour aujourd'hui. So thanks to everyone. Um, and thanks, Maria, for having reached out to uh, organize this uh, webinar to begin with. Much appreciated. Well, I'd like to thank uh, Maria and Christina too as well on behalf of our viewers for doing such a great job in getting this webinar together. Fantastic and fascinating to see Health Canada uh, be so transparent as they were with the viewer and the consumer here in Canada. Though I do have a question, one that I think needs to be answered and that's how does this ship get turned around? Uh, we understand the process. It seems to be steamrolling right ahead. But, you know, in between there, they were talking about how when it reaches the minister's office, before it goes to the Treasury Board, it sounds like that that's a point in which the ship could get turned around. So does that mean, and here's the question, that the politicians have to tell the bureaucrats to turn the ship around? Or do the bureaucrats somehow see the light on this issue and turn the ship around somewhere around in that political area? How does the ship get turned around? And how likely is that in terms of the historical record of regulations as they reach near, near Gazette 2? It's an interesting question, and uh, we're going to be asking that uh, of our guests over the next couple of weeks. So there you go. That's our quick coverage uh, of the Health Canada webinar. Hope you enjoyed it and come back soon.